Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today's episode is sponsored by KB's Car Care on 321 North Main Street in Jonesville, South Carolina. They offer a hand car wash, vacuum, a clean interior. Coming soon, full detail will also be available. While you wait on your vehicle, <coughs> customer seating is also available as well as a dining area. They're open Tuesday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., so make sure you stop by. Also, today's episode is sponsored by Big Ben's Desserts on 297 Spartanburg Highway, Lyman, South Carolina. So thank you guys for sponsoring this episode of the Cross the Line Podcast. Today we are once again in Greenville, South Carolina. We have another very special guest with us. If you watched the interview a couple of weeks ago, we had a son, Jared Smith, on, entrepreneur. Now we also now his lovely mother is on Miss Alicia Davis, the owner of Royalty Styles and Hacker. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having us um, once again in your in your building again. It was I enjoyed our conversation off, off air, so I know people will definitely enjoy it. Um, and like I said, I'm, I was glad to know that you watched the previous interview with your son and you enjoyed it that much that you wanted to come on and, and share your story. Yes. So I, I appreciate that very much. So starting out, actually, I want to talk to you a little bit about his book as well, because, of course, you were his mother, so he had you in the story as well. So uh-huh. what was kind of like your initial reaction um, to the story, to the book? To the book i absolutely love it um i had no idea that he was pouring that much thought into writing mm-hmm. and he only mentioned to me twice out of the three years it took him to write that book he said mama i'm writing a book and he mentioned it again like a year before it dropped and then on new year's of this year he posted online that he was dropping a book and i'm like oh my gosh he really did write a book mm-hmm. so um i i was just full of joy right I and i and i told him like Right at the very beginning of our conversation, I said just one of the things that, a couple of things I took away from, I said, man, I could tell that you, <clears throat> I, I could tell that he was very big on Jay-Z because, like, the, the quotes that he would use. And then also, I was like, man, I was like, your mom, she's, like, real MVP because she really <laughs> went through a lot and she still held it down the best that she could to provide. And the stuff that he put in, I was like, man, it was it was, I was, it was very deep. It was touching. So, so it's, like I said, I'm happy to have you on today because, like, man, the stuff that you did to try to keep everything together, like, you, it's tough. <laughs> but look, look at where you are today. So it's definitely a, a beautiful thing. So for people watching, you, t- you I know you said earlier, you tell me off camera, like, you're originally from Jonesville, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, how, how was your childhood, like, you know, just from the story and everything that was put into that book and everything? I want to ask you since you're here. What what was actually like your childhood like? Well, my childhood um, wasn't easy. Didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we came in a, up in a small town called Kelton. It was a lot of um, violent and drug-related area. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, growing up in that type of uh, establishment and it getting beat and beating us as kids, all we saw was violent and drugs. Um, it poured in. It ended up, the energy ended up getting into me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up becoming violent and just got there fighting a lot and drinking. And it felt like that's all I knew. And um, so at early age, at 16, I had Jared. And then a year and eight months later, I had his sister, Taisha. Well, by 18, I had both of them. Mm-hmm. And I was so... I start getting mad at myself, like, okay, I kept looking at them. I'm like, I got to get them out of this environment. I was I was raised up here, and all I saw was violent and drug. I refused to bring my kids up in this. So mm-hmm. that's what made me um, 
put my best foot forward. Thank God for my mother um, because she actually put in a transfer. She was working in Chester, South Carolina at Springs, and she put in a transfer to go back to Georgia. My mom is originally from Augusta, Georgia. Okay. So she, um, after my grandmama passed, that's all she had, plus a sister, she was determined to take us back to Georgia. And that was my our step to success then. Like, mm-hmm. we had to get out of that, that neighborhood. I know, I know he said something about in this story also it was like everyone in his immediate family like they did some kind of stint like in prison or something mm-hmm. like was that something that happened when you were growing up as well where like you saw that like family members just constantly being mm-hmm. um, arrested going to jail or prison mm-hmm. yeah it was it was like to us it was like a family tradition it's like soon as um, our family hit a certain age it's like history was repeating itself again like my brother did what my uncle did like he's, and it, they was in and out of jail Mm-hmm. In, in and out of jail and and of course you know myself uh i went to jail i went to jail a couple of times too mm-hmm. um it was just like we we did what we knew we mm-hmm. did what we were brought up around we did what we saw so it's very 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 crucial to anybody that have kids be careful of their surroundings and where you raising them up at how did it uh impact you you know he, he also said part of the and part of his story was that he the police came to the home, your home one day and you got arrested in front of him. How did that affect you when, when having him see that at such a young age? That right there is what really, after that day, and I finally, and I got out and I had to get some probation behind me. Um, but to be honest, uh, I, I still was rebellious. I rebellious to the probation officers too. I just felt like they was trying to control me and I'm not a good person to be in control. And um, so I violated it, and I had to go away for six months. Mm. When I was away for six months, i never forget that, that day that I dropped on my knees and I cried like somebody beat me. And I said, God, I can't do this. I can't live this life by myself. I need you. And so after I said that prayer, it's like a bit burden we lift, lift off on me. Granted you, I had five more months to sit in that place. Um, but every day I was sitting there, I was writing what I was going to do for me and my kids when I got out. And I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I, I was determined to make that change. And one of my strongest prayer was, God, get us out that, get us out of that neighborhood. Please just move me out of this neighborhood. I don't want to raise my kids there. So when I came home, it was Valentine's Day of 2000 when I came home. And my kids didn't know I was coming home that day. And I was standing in the door and they got off the bus. And when I saw the joy in my children's heart, I said, then it was time for me to change my life. I, I, I was done with the streets. I'm not going back to jail to leave my kids for no, nothing. Mm-hmm. And from that day to this one, and I thank God, I have never been in trouble again. Did you have anybody growing up that was trying to, I guess, um, point you in the right direction or you, and you were just at a point where you didn't want to listen or did you feel like you didn't really have any kind of like support when you were growing up? I had support, don't get me wrong, but the way they... But the way they try to um, give you advice, it was kind of aggressive. It was like right. cussing you out, giving you advice. Mm-hmm. B does, MF does, giving you advice. So when you start cussing at me and hollering at me, I just shut myself down. So I wasn't taking advice. Now, granted you, as I got older, what I did, I, I analyzed what they were saying. I said, what they saying wasn't wrong. It's just the way they was delivering right. to me. So I did have guidance, but, you know, right. as coming out of violent home too we came out of violent home watching my dad jump on my mom 
I just felt like I, I would just shut myself down every time you cussed me out. Mm-hmm. So I, I just went left and tried to find my own way in life. And a lot of times when you see stuff like that at home, you can see how it kind of impacts kids when they go to school, whether they want to take their frustration out on other kids. Mm-hmm. Did you have any kind of like mm-hmm. anything like that going on as well? Like it, it, it bothered it, you were you had a hard time focusing because of stuff that was going on at home? Mm-hmm. I did. I couldn't. I could barely focus at school. And when I did go to school, I felt like I was just angry. Mm-hmm. I came up with this bad um, anger in me because of getting woke up out of our sleep two, three o'clock in the morning in the living room, hearing my mom scream, daddy jumping on her, daddy hitting in the head with iron. I mean, we we came up in that. So again, I took a lot of my frustration out on people at school, and that's how and and in in the community as well. So that's why I had this name of. Leisha fight. She loved to fight. She loved to fight. It was just in me. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, that's why I think it's important. Um, as far as like teacher wise, they need to kind of like understand what be more compassionate with the kids because a lot of times they don't. They just want to just uh, label these kids as just a troublemakers, a problem. They're not really fight, figuring out what's really going on with kids because a lot of times it is the stuff that's at home mm-hmm. that it, that has um that impacts these kids a lot and you know a lot of times teachers don't take the time you know get to the root of these issues which i understand they have a lot of kids to tend to but sometimes it's those few that they really need more attention than the others because of so much stuff that's going on but did you when you, with your children did you try to of course like we said sometimes it's a lot about how you talk to people they mm-hmm. can rub people the wrong way sometimes so for you with your children was it something you try you try to be mindful of how you spoke to them when you raising them I did. So um, after coming up from parents that was controlling and cussing you out and telling you to do stuff, I reversed that. So what I did when it was time for my children to do chores or if I needed for them to do something versus coming there screaming, telling them to do it, I always asked them to do it. And then mm-hmm. I asked them, like, after two, three times, like, all right, I want to ask you again. You know, so I started humming myself and I started approaching my kids in a totally different way that I was approached. Mm-hmm. coming up and I see a big difference too I can see a di- big difference my children are not perfect but I can see a difference in them and the way right. I came up I want to uh, get uh, go a little bit jump ahead a little bit more when you were talking about you know that, that point where your children when Jerry saw you get arrested mm-hmm. and once you got out you, of course you prayed to God and you said once you got out you were going to change things and and you decided to go to Florida What? how, how was that initially like did you just was it just like spur of the moment or was it planned out when you decided to go and how did family receive that when you said you were leaving? Okay. Well, after Pram, like I said, my mom, she ended up, my, my grandmama had just died of January 2000 and I came home on Valentine in January 2000. So my mom had, had told us about a couple of years before that. She said, if anything ever happened to Janie, which was our grandmama, she said, we're going back to Georgia. And so my mom didn't, she really didn't say nothing to it. She just came home to me one day. Cause at the time my mom was staying with me. Cause when I came out, I got my own place and my mom was staying with me. She came in the living room. She said, okay, I got my job transferred to Georgia. You gone. The first instinct, I ain't going to Georgia. I ain't going down there. That's the first, that's the type of mentality I had. And then when I laid down and tried to go to sleep that night, it's like God start like poking his finger. Like you prayed to get, get your kids out from up here. Here's your opportunity. Go. So then I got, when I got up that next morning, I told my I said, Mom, I'm going. And so mm-hmm. it was her changing her job. She asked for um, relocation for her changing her job to Georgia, and, and I followed her with my children. Oh, so she came with you? Yeah, it was her move, and I okay. went with her. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did it feel to have your mom? Uh, do you feel like you could have made it alone if you had to, or did you just were you just hoping and praying that she was gonna come with you? Well, I was determined myself to go on anyway, but I just didn't even know where to start. First of all, I didn't, at that point, I had to even go back to get a GED to even get a job. You see what I'm saying? But my mom was faithfully already working, so it was easy for her to put in, uh, transfer, and transfer her job. So with her coming along, and because I'm still at home trying to figure out, okay, how I even going to do this? I just mm-hmm. want to get off and up here. Right. And just so happened, like, it, it, it was great that she her job transferred her without a shadow of a doubt. It, it was like two weeks. After she told us, she had two weeks to get down and get moved. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, we packed it up. Yeah. And we move. There's so so many times. This is like this is really just about stepping out on faith. Like mm-hmm. you don't. It's like I, I read so many times from a lot of different stories and people saying it's like it's not it's not for you to figure out how it's going to happen. You just need to go and do it. Like don't worry about how it's going to happen. Exactly. Just know that's what you want to do. Then just take that just take that first step and everything will work out. And um, something else from the story, it just felt like just reading this story. Also, it was like you were just so independent, and it feel like. He said, even though you struggled, you worked hard, you didn't really want to ask for help. Why were you so uh, bent on, like, being independent and okay. not, you know, asking for help? Okay. After being with their father for eight years, um, he wouldn't allow me to work. He, 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 did, he did everything for me, but he was ten times controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, he became abusive. So now I'm seeing myself going through what my mama go through. He wouldn't even allow me to work. When I did try to get a job at Hardest, he came in showed out one night and I lost my job. Mm. Um, so it was like, I was scared to go try to get a job somewhere because he's going to come and embarrass me and I'm going to lose it. So what happened was he took care of us. He kept a roof over our head. He, he took care of me and the kids. He paid all the bills. But when I tell you it was um, mental and abusive and physically, stress came behind it because I had to get jumped on and get told what to do all the time because he was the, the bread maker. Mm-hmm. So... After getting out of that relationship, and of course I got in that relationship with him young, and I had two kids, and after I finally got, and it took, it took about two years before we left and went to Georgia, something happened in his life where he had to leave for two years. So that's what started separating us. So shortly after he got out, the the move came for us to go to Georgia. So I made in my mind then, I refused to let another man take care of me. Mm -hmm. I refused it. I said, it's no way. I said, if I can't beat them, meet them halfway and help them, I don't never want no man ever doing nothing for me like that again because, like I said, it was a lot of mental and physical abuse came behind it. Mm-hmm. So that would push me to be so independent. I, and it was hard for me to go out here and ask anybody for anything because I was scared if I ask anybody for anything, they're going to make me feel like I owe them something. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what pushed me to that independent mindset that I am today. And I'm still like that today. Right. Yeah. I just like, my, <laughs> the, the way the story was like, you, it was no way you were going to try to come back this way. You did Mm-mm. every single thing that you could. And like, you just worked so hard, even though. You may not have the time to, to spend time with your children, but you just were so determined, like, working, like, day and night, like, just constantly working. So, yeah. could you, when those things started happening with Jared, could you actually tell, like, some of the things, did you notice anything different because you worked so much, or how was, did you just think it was just, like, normal, like, how he, he was just doing the regular daily routine? Mm-hmm. Now, he was, uh, he looked normal. He, he I never had no problem with him going to school. I never had no problem with him skipping school at the time when he did lead into that trouble. Um, his sister was skipping school at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was, to me, with working so much and focusing so much on her, I kind of took a little bit of attention off here because I'm like, oh, he all right. 
I don't have no problem out of here. When I tell you, Jared, Jared got his last punishment whooping when he was like 12 years old. Mm. And that because of something he had done that he had got in school and he had, he had got suspended, but he didn't tell me. So he, he hadn't hide in the bushes in two days. He was suspended the whole day. Mm. Then he'd hop on the bus and ride it back home oh, like he man. ain't done yeah. it. <laughs> so what happened was after that, Jared was so respectful. He was never disgruntled. He was never disrespectful. He he told my mama, he said, Mama, I don't, Granny, I don't never want to get another whooping by mama. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. But so, again, his sister on the other hand was like night and day. So I started putting a lot of attention on her. And I worked a lot. I worked so much to keep income coming in because I was ever scared going to have to depend on anyone, especially a man. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so scared of doing that. So with me working so many long hours in Atlanta, the way I did in the salon, um, have you, somehow Jared will lead her. And, I, of course, me working so long, I come home and crash. Mm-hmm. I mean, I take a shower, make sure they don't eat, and I'm out. And they knew when mama go to sleep, mama ain't going to wake up till in the morning. So right. somehow Jared would get out the house, and he had this little... This little click that are coming right at the bottom of the stairs, cause we stayed upstairs, and um, so he'll come, he'll come, his little click will come and get him, and he'll walk downstairs, and he'll and he'll be gone that night. So I woke up one morning, and I had to go right past his room on my way to the kitchen to cook breakfast, and I looked and noticed his bed was still made up, and I'm like, this is not like Jerry. Jerry ain't never ever stayed out nowhere right. without saying nothing to me. So the first thing I did is turn back around, went back down the hall, went in my bathroom, and I prayed. I said, God, we is in Atlanta. Please just show me that my child's alive. Because I was scared that I was going to get a phone call saying he was killed. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, then I, I got up, and I, of course my nerves still shocked. And I finally got a phone call from one of his friends about 10 o'clock and telling me what happened. He had went to jail that night before. So that's why he didn't make it in that night. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it took a tragic um, Stress, stress came in. My hair started thinning mm-hmm. then, so uh, I, I was just shocked of what he was in there for. I'm like, my rock, rock did that, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, it, it, it was a big shock. It was, it was a big shock. But I knew deep down inside that I said, okay, he had to be a leader somewhere because I don't think there's something he would just went out and done himself. Do you remember kind of a little bit of like what y'all? your first conversation was with him after he got arrested? Like, do you remember kind of like, not word for word, like exactly what you said to him, but do you remember kind of like how that conversation went? When he first got arrested? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you first talked to him since being arrested and everything? You yeah. Know? The first thing I asked him, son, what made you do that? I said, what what, what went through your mind? What made you do that? I, I, don't, I don't know, mama. I, I don't know. I didn't know. At first, he didn't want to take uh, he didn't want to take accountability for that he was involved. He was like, well, mama, I was just with some group of guys and we was coming out of the store and after I know the guys that I was with, they, they pulled out a gun, this the Mexican, and they robbed them, but I was with them, so I had to go to jail with them too. Well, mm-hmm. kind of find out uh, he was involved. Um, kind of find out, I think Jared tried to take a little role of joining the gangs. Um, he also mentioned that the reason why he joined that gang because he felt like he had that, and it was older people, brotherly fatherly love that um that he didn't get so joining the game they make him feel like he would love part and of so, family so yeah and then he said mama it wasn't hard to get out like you had to do crazy stuff like that initiation it ain't hard mm-hmm. to get out of the game did it did that make you feel to a certain extent like maybe you failed as a parent or were you trying to figure out like what went wrong mm-hmm. for you 
Mm-hmm. I did. And that's when I start realizing, um, okay, for number one, I worked so much. And he was basically the head of the house. He'll tell you he was the man of the house because he took care of his siblings. So when he did decide to go out at night um, with his friends, it was always about 9, 10 o'clock at night. He done took care of the siblings while I was at work. He, he even cooked for them, and he would make sure they was taken care of. And then he went out at night. But see, then I started thinking, I'm like, okay, you just working too entirely much. Like, okay, I, I get it. You know, I need money. But it's something I got to do to make sure that I'm, I can really watch these kids. So that's when I start putting a plan together of being a business owner one day where I can mm-hmm. set my own hours. Right. I know earlier you said also, you got to Georgia, you, uh, you mentioned about the salon. How did you actually get into doing hair? Like, what made you want to do it? Well, I started out in Kelton doing friends and family hair. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had the talent in me, but at the time coming through, I didn't have the um, people skill, I would say, to go with it. Because again, you know, I was one of them little disgruntled person. I can do hair, but my attitude wasn't set to be behind no chair to dealing with different personalities. So it still took me a while. My mom used to always tell me, you've been gifted with this talent. Why don't you just go on and get your license for it? I'm like, I ain't dealing with them. You know, that's the type of mentality that I had then. And then, of course, like I said, one that, that one morning in Georgia, I woke up and sent, I had sent Jerry and I'm out to school and I was laying there and it's like this vision came to me. Like this, I start visualizing myself being a comatologist. I start visualizing myself and I was stuck between a comatologist and a medical assistant. I always say as a little girl, I want to be a nurse and I want to be a hairstylist. That's something I used to always tell, say to my, my parent coming up. And, and I said, then I said, well, I got to start somewhere. And then that's when I realized, okay, first of all, you need to go get your GED. Mm-hmm. So you can go to go to college. So and I like I told you earlier, I grab a I grab a pen and a pad and I wrote down GD, Carmatide School, Medical School. It took me three years to accomplish all three, and every time I accomplished something, I was scratching it off, and it was making me more. I was happy on the inside, and I start believing in myself more, and I knew then, huh? You can do anything you put your mind Absolutely. to. So. Okay. And doing the hair, how was that um, when you got your first gig? Was it was it like a, excitement? Did you know, realize then that that was your true passion or did it take you time to finally realize? Because I know you say you worked a lot of hours. But mm-hmm. when was that point for you that you knew that like that was like your true passion, your calling? Because after hair, I still was indecisive. So I, like I said, I did medical assistant. I was a pediatric nurse in Tacoa, Georgia for two years. And so what I did, I, I worked at the doctor's office Monday through Friday we got off at Friday at 12 o'clock and then from 1 to 7 and from 9 to 5 on Saturday I still worked part-time in the salon so I was in, I was still had my hands in it but just part-time I just didn't want to go full-time in it because a part of me were like well you got to get clients in your chair to make money so I knew if I work at the doctor's office I'm gonna have an automated check come in mm-hmm. so what have you when I when I work for the doctor you know I'm gonna be honest now working for a doctor not all doctors, but I, I, I seen some things I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I seen a lot of kids getting diagnosed with the same medication. And then I said, I was the nurse that had to call it in. And I asked that doctor one day, I said, hey, I said, do you realize you call every child in the same dosage and the same antibiotic and steroid? She said, yeah, it won't kill them. If, it, if, it, if they come back, I'll just change their medicine. Mm-hmm. That threw my back against the wall. Like, this is not for me. So shortly after that, about two months later, I didn't even have a teaching license, but North Georgia Tech instructor reached out to me. Um, granted, you, I was the only African American in in my class when I went. So when it came to the African American um, styles and braidings and stuff, 
I actually got up and helped the class, help her with the class. So she reached out to me. She was like, hey, you want to come be my assistant? And we'll send you back to school to be a, get, in, get your instructor license. I'm like, who, me? Never thought I'd be a commentator teacher. So then I, I went in. I did that for like two years. And, of course, back then, 2000, I think that was like 2008, and they started cutting back on hours. We had the recession. So 2010, we ended up moving here, and I realized I got my commentator license. So, and I went on and, and pursued my dream in teaching. So now that I teach, and the more I got the teaching here, the more I realized, Harris for me, this is my calling, and this so, is my passion. So when you were in Georgia, you kind of, excuse me, you, you kind of somewhat, I guess you were working for somebody else at their salon, and then once you finally came here, that's when you went into it on your own and, and got your own salon? Well, in the beginning, when I first um, finished school, I started work inside of Walmart in Tacoma, Georgia. Mm -hmm. I left Walmart, and then it was a beauty supply store that had its own one-chair salon in the back. And actually, I worked for myself. I was an independent contractor, so I just rented that part out for us. So my, my originally name, I originally started out with a special touch salon. That's, I originally started that in 2005, working in the back of a beauty supply store. So, Mina, I, went, I was able to sit my own hours. I was just paying her booth around or paying her for that spot back there. So, that's when I started being independent as a stylist. Mm -hmm. um, granted, you, after leaving Tacoa, I went to Atlanta, and I was scared to go right back behind the chair. I'm like, I get clientele built up when you're being independent. So, I went back in Perimeter Mile, and I worked at um, Trade Secrets. Salon. That's where I was working when I was working all them long hours um, when Jared was at home, mm -hmm. and um, so I worked there until I I was working it. But it's like seemed like the more money I wake and the more I was spending out because like when like I say Jared started getting in trouble, I had to pay lawyer fees, I had to pay anchor money fees, and so it was that to see him go back to jail, getting lights cut out, cars going back. It, it was it was just I mean I. I was a hairstyler, but I was working for another company where they take 50% of your check. So I really wasn't seeing all my money that I was making. Right. So I had to bring home half of what I made, and I had to make do what I had. So um, when we moved here in 2010, I opened up Special Touch Beauty Salon in Spartanburg, right down Magnolia Street. I opened it up. Granted, you, the building itself wasn't up to par. It could have been condemned at any time. It wasn't um, the circuit breaker. It wasn't electrical fit for all the appliances you have to run in the salon. So I closed that one down in six months and I said, well, if I, I'm going to open up another salon again. I always put my mind on what I want to do. I said, but this time I'll open it in Greenville. Mm -hmm. So um, to make a long story short, I, after working uh, for somebody and see, anytime you work for a salon company like that, they're going to get a percentage of your check mm -hmm. uh, versus you Knowing that you can make good money doing hair, but you, you either want to booth rent or be independent. I'd rather pay rent on my own building, and I, but I know what I can bring home after I don't pay that rent. Versus the higher I made in those um, in those companies, the more the commission they was taking out of my right. check. So that, felt, that caused me to fall short from trying to pay all the bills. And then, like I said, when, when Jared got in that trouble, that was extra bills on top of me right. so that's when they start seeing the tow truck come get my car because i my in my mind i don't want my child to go back to jail right and, and, just, and i'm gonna stick to that real quick you you saying like getting caught getting behind on bills did you how was that kind of like i know that could be tough and hard and i pray i never had to be in a situation like that did it feel like you had a point where you had to make a decision between paying a bills or keeping your child out of jail like what was that like you know trying to do both and then you know of course I know he's mentioned in the book kind of got caught, fell behind a little bit so he ended up going back but 
what was like that decision like you know trying to pay the bills or like seeing your son lose his freedom again mm -hmm. so that second time he went back i just couldn't do it no more because at this point i had to pay the light i had to pay the rent i'm like i just can't pay baby i just don't have the extra like i would literally paycheck to paycheck so um that last time he went in came out they took the monitor off his leg so um he he wasn't he hadn't been found guilty of anything of the crime so i knew reached out my sister reached out to us she's like hey won't y'all just come back here the last thing i want to do is come to south carolina but you know i just felt like we were put in that position to shift the atmosphere mm -hmm. so um so we did we, we moved back to south carolina and again he had to go back and forth to his um court dates and stuff and finally he got it he got it where you know he ended up with he ended up with probation and but they was able we told him our situation like i just couldn't afford to keep like literally i was to the point that i was getting evicted and my sister said come mm -hmm. you come with us either dad i mean we went we tried not to come we even called ourselves we're gonna go to a shelter one day we went one day and jet was 18 years old and they and i had I always had my four with me and they messed around and split him in a men they separated us mm. so i'm like no that next morning i got up i said okay we're gonna take my sister proposal and we going to South Carolina because they separated us. When they separate me from me from my kid, that, that, that was a done deal. Yeah, and it's all it's like, but it's it's good to you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes you you, you kind of have to I'm say pride or whatever. You just kind of have to you know. Sometimes it's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs help at, at yeah. some point in time. So I know you didn't want to do it, but when you finally came back, was it like a bit of a relief? And and like, did you you move to Greenville once you finally came back? Mm -hmm. or? Spartanburg, Barton Springs. Spartanburg. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you? I know we talking about everything in the past. Did Did you have kind of like a somewhat a little bit of like a, towards a little bit of resentment towards where you came from, or do you try not to go back there, or do you try to stay away from it? How do you feel about where you, where you're from now? Yeah, I did. I had a lot of resentment because I had a lot of uh, right, bef literally right before one year. No, it wasn't even one year. It was like. It was actually a week before I had to leave and go to Columbia for six months. I had got raped in Spymer. So I had mm. trauma. I had trauma. And I knew the guy that did it. Um, so I was trauma traumatized. Uh, I said, I can't. I said, with my mindset, I can't go back down there. If I see him, I'm probably going to hit him with the car. I'm going to do something. Mm. So that's what kept me not ever want to go back down there. Like to the, and now I'm all right with it now, but... I, I just won't want to live back down there. Right. Um, but I'm all right going back down there now because I have grown. But when, when that first happened, I was like 19 years old and trying to get raped. You can't make me give you, you know what I'm saying? Right. I never dealt with him even like that. And I knew the guy. My children's father knew the guy. And, like, I never even dealt with him. But it's a long story behind that one there. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what traumatized me from going to go back to to where home. I came from, yeah. Did you did you have anybody when that situation came about? Um, did you talk to anybody about it, or did you just something you held in to yourself? Like, did, was or did you feel like you didn't have anyone to go to? Well, that, I feel like I didn't have anyone to go to because of people had already kind of labeled stereotype stereotype me as a younger person because I had children younger and I was this little disgruntled person. Like, oh, she got what she deserved, that mm -hmm. type stuff. Even my own family. I mean, telling me stuff like that. So I felt like I really didn't have nobody to go to. So um, 
granted, when I got to Georgia, it seemed like I had people that had an ear and a heart that would listen to me and listen to my story versus the people where I came up from. Because mm-hmm. everybody looked at me like, yeah, whatever, you got what you deserve. Right. And a lot of times those people that you don't even know can be your biggest supporters and, mm-hmm. and help you help you out the most. How, how was how was your relationship with family now um, to this day? We are we are a lot of close because now we know our limits with each other. Like sometimes you are you we know now when to give each other space. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's 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 better. It's a whole lot better. Uh, we get we have family gathering a couple times a year, but we space it out so we can enjoy each other when we do. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, it was a lot of bitterness, jealousy. And you can really be around them too long because, especially when you're trying to do, trying to share your dream with them, and they shouldn't have shutting it down. And it, it it was a lot of bitterness with that. But now, like I said, we we when we do get together, we we love. But our love is strong now. That's one thing about it, our love. We we got a strong love for each other. Mm-hmm. But we can't be around each other every day. Cause you go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's how it is with family. You love them, but sometimes you you need that time apart. Mm-hmm. Who 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 would you say was like your biggest inspiration your motivator your biggest motivator like who somebody that that talked to you and kept pushing you to do your best my biggest motivator believe it or not it wasn't a family member it wasn't a family member it was actually um after i found in my heart to go to school i had this my my instructor she was an older older caucasian and she saw something in me that I didn't see, that I didn't see. And the things that she would tell me and beat me. And she believed in me when I like that's why she offered me that instructor job. She believed in me. So she started opening my mindset of this is what you really are. You just don't see it. Mm-hmm. She was like one of my biggest motivators. And then after getting behind the chair, you'd be amazing. That's why I love the job. Another reason why I love the job. Some of the people that get in my chair and some of the, the things that they, they can just inspire into me. Like, mm-hmm. to this day, I'm still being motivated. Right. So that's why I'm real careful of the type of clients I allow, too. Because you got to be careful with, you know, who feeding your spirit with certain right. things. So, But, yeah, my, my instructor, my commentage instructor was, like, the biggest motivator. And I, I know we had a lady uh, back in Atlanta last year. It was crazy. I think she was in Buckhead, Miss Panay Akperu. And she was saying, you know, one of the things for her was, you know, she loved about doing hair was because sometimes these women would come get in her chair and they were just broken and their spirit was just broken mm-hmm. and, and just something as simple as a hairstyle would just lift them up and keep mm-hmm. them inspired. So what, what what else would you say was like your favorite thing about doing hair? It's that it's bringing out that inner beauty in them. Uh, again, you, they come in. The most thing I see when people when women start going through a breakup or a divorce, the first thing they they want to chop out this beautiful hair they got out. Um, they feeling down, but it start with a great shampoo. When you massage that scalp and there's certain um, points in the head that you can massage that actually bring a stress level down, and now you put them at a relaxed stage. And so now you got them relaxed in your chair and you give them this beautiful style. I don't have them get up and give me big hugs. They literally will have tears coming out of their eyes. I say, I just thank you so much. And it's that passion of just bringing beauty out of others. I, the, the beauty from the inside coming on the outside now because... It, it, I just love to see them smile. I love to put a smile on their face. And I, I am a female, and I know I, we don't feel good if I ain't done. Right. 
<laughs> it's kind of the same way with, with a haircut, you know. It's like I remember my barber asked was telling me, he's like, that's one of the, and that in the profession that you guys are in, this is like the only time was like you let a stranger. Um, of course, over time you get to know these people that do your hair or cut your hair. It's like the only time you really let somebody get that close and intimate with you to get that close to you know touching you and doing your hair and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a, a serious profession. As we progress, though, allow me to take one more time to uh, thank one of our sponsors, Ms. Charlene Davis of Charlene's Home Cooking on 1136 East Blackstock Road in Moore, South Carolina. Charlene's Home Cooking is a family restaurant that cooks like grandma with fresh veggies and meats cooked to order. You can do a meat with two sides, a meat with three sides, or a veggie plate. Cake, pies, and cobbler are also available for dessert. She wants you to feel at home anytime you visit, so stop by Monday, Thursday, and Saturday from 11 to 6, and Friday and Sunday from 11 to 7. Everything is fresh and from the heart, so make sure you guys stop by if you're ever in Spartanburg. So thank you, Miss Charlene, for also being another sponsor um, for the Cross the Line podcast. Now, Miss Alicia, one of the things I want to ask you also, I know you kind of said it earlier, but you you saying about your breaking point being um, seeing your children, um, seeing you get arrested. What what else would you say was um, was there anything else would you say was probably like your breaking point of like or like a moment where you felt like you would make a career change and, and go all in on hair? Yes, um, again after trying the, the the nursing part, and I realized that when I started doing hair. I, I, I do a little bit of advertising, but all my people were coming off word of mouth. Mm-hmm. They was coming off styles that I'd done. So when I start just seeing my clientele grow, and I really didn't do a lot of um, advertising, I knew then I'm like, okay, th- this is definitely for me. Uh, again, it is great money behind it. Um, but money going to come to you when you got the passion for it. So mm-hmm. pa- hair is just my passion. I absolutely love it. Um, but what got me to a really breaking point after doing hair 20 years, and now that I'm middle age and I see a lot of my middle age clients coming in and their hair is thinning. So as a cosmetologist, I'm going to read up on product. and like, hey, this product say it thickens your hair, it grows your hair, and it really don't work for a lot of people. It might work for some, but it don't work for all. So that's what really put my foot down and made me look into being a hair loss practitioner because not only do I love to style my client hair, but I like to save their hair. I like to watch their hair grow. I don't want, if you come to me and your hair constantly thinning and I can't do nothing about it. And most people I hear them say, well, I'm going to have to go to a dermatologist to see if they could, well, a dermatologist might know a little something, but they mostly study skin. Mm-hmm. So a hair loss practitioner, we study the root of hair loss. So that's what made me really, really push my best foot forward in this industry. I absolutely love the hair loss practitioner because the clients that been thinning for years and they may be their first time coming to me that, well, it's hereditary. Uh, my mom had it. My dad had it. I've been doing this for five years. It ain't going to grow back. Wrong. Because now, once you get into the hair loss practitioner, they do have such thing as laser light therapy. It really mm-hmm. do it really do penetrate the follicle, and it does grow the hair. And not on along with that, I love the fact that the company that I actually went through and I got certified, uh, we offer more hair more hair grow or your money back. Mm-hmm. So we know we we know what what this does. 
it, it really is going to grow your hair. It's a year treatment. Um, you get up on the laser lamp one time, two times, or either three times a week. Depends on how fast you want to see your result. But they hair really grow back permanent. You do not have to walk around with, and if for men and women, mm-hmm. just because your father's hair start balling at the top or your hair start receding, you can put a stop to that. Laser treatment works. It works. So that's what really just really pushed my best foot forward in this industry. So now I'm more focused. I still I still style hair. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I'm more focused on treating the hair and growing it and stopping it from coming out and regrowing it. What would you say are some, some do's and don'ts, Um, I guess, for people that want to get in your industry? Because I know earlier we were talking about one of the main things was like customer service and, mm-hmm. and how you treat people. Um will make them want to come back or, you know, bad a bad review will spread quicker than a good review. Like, what, what else would you say for people that want to get in your profession, like, to be mindful of some certain things? What would you say those would be? Okay. Well, in this profession, you definitely want to treat, no matter how many times a week or how many times a month that you see your, your client, you always treat them like you just saw them. You always greet them with a smile. You greet them by name. Just because you don't saw them two times that month, don't say, oh, okay, hey, I'll be with you. No. You greet them, hey, Charlene, I'm using that as an example, I'll be right with you. So you always keep them making them feel welcome every time they come through your door. Um, Another don't is, like I said earlier, we have personal life and we have our business life. So... In this industry, you get a lot of clients that literally, they, they don't became comfortable with you doing their hair. So they open up to you and tell you a lot of their personal. They will tell you a lot of their personal. But what you don't do is feedback, give them yours. Right. Because now they're going to take the, the professional look from the way they look at you. They're going to start looking at you more personal. So that mm-hmm. also start drawing clients away too as well so if they knew that you went out and you parted every night right before you got on their head nine out of ten that word gonna spread they're gonna start them and she might be drunk she might be hungry i don't hold my head today right so you have to be mindful when you in business we need to keep it strictly business um and again people skill you gotta have people skill just because you can do hair it's hundreds and thousands of us out here it could be a salon right around the corner just because you're good at what you do but if you got a nasty attitude that's a quick way to run them away mm-hmm and that's one thing I, I remember talking to somebody before. This young lady, she, uh, I think she was she was selling clothes, and she, I know she does hair also. And I don't think she went to it full time. She was like, she liked doing it, but she don't like dealing with people. So I'm like, if you're gonna be an entrepreneur and have your own business, you, you have to deal with people. Like it's it's not gonna work that way. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I, I mean, I didn't I didn't know other than that. Like if you're gonna do this, that's my main advice. Like if you're gonna do that work with the public, you have to be able to engage with people and, and be respectful. But I know a lot of times that's what hurts a lot of business, especially a lot of our businesses is customer service. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest things that, that has um, caused us to have a downfall. For you though, what what would you say today? You just have a few more questions and we'll get ready to wrap it up. Okay. What would you say is your, your, like your motivation today? My motivation is leaving a, leaving a great, establishment and leading my kids by example that's what motivate me because now my kids are grown and mm-hmm. i'm trying i lead them by example i get up and because i done done all the advice making that i can do right. so sometimes they get to a certain age and my mom heard that a thousand times before so now i'm the type of person i'm gonna show you 
So that's what motivates me to get out here and be an entrepreneur, be a business owner, because I want to leave leave that behind for my children. Right now, I can't see any of my kids trying to get into the hair industry, but I can tell you, if God called me home, somebody going to take over it. Mm -hmm. I'm born to sure. And I have grandkids, so okay. I'm just pretty sure that mm -hmm. somebody, it's like I'm leaving a legend for them. It's like I want to set the tone for them to let them know. You can do anything you put your mind to, and owning your own business is one great it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but piggyback on customer service again, just because we own our own business don't mean I, mean, I ain't got to clock in. So you got clients sitting out there waiting on you. That's the easy way to run people off. Yep. Don't do it. Absolutely. Just like when I had to go to Walmart and clock in, I treat myself the same way here. Mm -hmm. So if I tell my client to be here at 9, I'm here about your 8.30. And I don't make sure that everything tidied up, the room is comfortable for them, whether mm -hmm. they're hot or cold. And I, and I still do it the same way because you are your business now. You, mm -hmm. you really have to... Um, you, you might not be punching them out of clock, but again, you still got to be mindful of your client's time exactly i think it's it <clears throat> entrepreneurship might look cool because you might have your own and like you you your own boss but like you said to me i think you actually work harder as an entrepreneur than you do as like working for someone else because it's no manual to it or nobody telling you when you got to be there when you leave when you got to take a lunch it's like you you have to put in more work like mm -hmm. constantly as as an entrepreneur so I, I would definitely tell people make sure you be mindful of that and it's it goes back to something else I, I was actually listening to on my way up here. It was lady, Lisa Nichols. She was speaking and she was saying in order to, in order to, to give, she said, you have to do the things that other people won't do to have what people, other people won't have. Mm -hmm. So like, you just have to constantly grind and put in that work. So it's, it's like just, just the business part of it. I mean, I, I love it because you get to interact with people. Um, like like today, it was mm -hmm. like our first time sitting down, mm -hmm. so it's it's a pleasure. But it's like those things, man. Like like I told you before we started, it's like I don't take these things for granted. Like I put in a lot of time and effort to you know do the research and, and studying because it's it's a lot to it for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everybody has to do it this way, yeah. but just for me personally, like I just take it serious and and I want that to show in my work. Um, a couple more questions and we'll get ready to wrap it up. How much time for you would you say that you put into your craft? It took um, for this establishment. Yeah, or, in total, just even today, like time. how many hours of work, like you think people should put into, like just putting into the um, whatever. Well, just just answer it as a broad question, like how much work do you think people should put into what they what they want to do? Okay, well, you definitely want to. Um, you want to, anytime you get a vision, you want to plan and you want to implement it. So meaning, I said, give yourself, once you come up with that plan, give yourself a year. Could be short term. Mm -hmm. Some people make it long term in five years. But the main thing is, you come up with that plan, now you got to feel, especially when you come into business, you got to feel like, okay, where the funding going to come from? Um, or what do I need to say to get this started? So it took me... What drove me to open this one is I was teaching at Virginia College, 2008, December the 5th. They came in. They said, y'all job in in two thousand. I mean, in two days. Y'all won't have a job. We're closing our campus. We lost our accreditation. Mm -hmm. So when that happened in 2008, I didn't give myself but a week. But well, I had been doing hair for a while, but I, I was over. So I kind of rushed into this one. So that, I mean, when I tell you I stepped out on faith, I stepped out on faith. Mm -hmm. So I, I said, you know what? I was over teaching. I said, I don't want to teach for another um, pub, uh, private school. I'm just going back behind the chair. Here's what I love to do. 
And, and that's and that's what I did. So I gave myself a week, and I started out on Long Road in a suite. Mm. And I was working at Amazon night shift. When I took a job at Amazon, working night shift, and I I would go in there during the daytime, and I do a few clients trying to get my clientele built up. Mm. Well, I stayed at that one for three months, and I moved over here in March of 2019. And every day came in the beginning. You know, it, I still trying to get. I opened a salon trying to get clientele built up. It was in Greenville, but I worked in Spymer. I didn't really have no clientele here. But I believed in myself, and I knew my work that I put out. So in about six months, I started really seeing revenues coming in. Um, I, um, I was working for Jackson Hewitt, too, for the last six years. So just this year, I implemented my Davis tax preparation in here. So I do do taxes during tax season as well. So because I'm like, well, while I got the salon, I need different streams of income. And so I start thinking about the talents that I had. I'm like, well, I, I, I have been working for Jackson Hill. It's time for me to step out on my own and do my own. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I did. So now I offer taxes here. And, but the time that I put in into this one was, I jumped into it probably literally about right. two years. So, But it still took me a whole year after I opened the building to really put time, research, um, I, I really had to get out there and dig into Absolutely. it. So, and it's still not easy. Not every day I motivate myself to find something even better, better that I can add onto the mm -hmm. business if, if I can, what I can offer. Um, but adding the Davis tax preparation and branching off from Jackson Hill was one of my biggest steps. It really brought a lot of revenue into the business. Mm -hmm. So, Do you, you, with all the experience you have in, in your store, have you or are you currently doing anything? As far as like maybe like mentoring like young ladies or anybody that wants to to get into this profession, have you thought about getting into it, like mentoring them or coaching them in some some way or fashion? Well, that's a good thing about me being part time right now at Greenwood Tech. I am teaching the young ones, and okay. so I am able to talk to them as I teach them in my class and motivate them into you know what what can lead to them. And I also and I also tell them I said you don't have to just stop doing hair; you can have other other talent too as well and so when i tell them what i offer at my salon they were like well miss alicia you just do everything you do taxi you said <laughs> jerry you do. i said listen you can do it too so they are my and they at the age of 18 or 21 maybe so that was my little I, I mentor them a lot every day i'm on there three days a week at greenville tech but when i'm there i pour more than just hair into them mm -hmm. it's one of the things i wish i would have done earlier too was you know kind of like find find that mentor or Somebody that's in that profession that you want to do, maybe you can go in and shadow them and see how they go on a on a day to day operation. Because I feel like you can learn these things at some of these things at school, but like once you, like I said, for me it was just like kind of I kept hearing lack of experience, so um, I didn't get my internships until like right before I was graduating. Because when I was in school, I was just and when I was my first three years, that basically I was just ready to have a good time, honestly. But then as yeah. it got towards the time to graduate, that's when I got serious and got into the broadcasting. But I think if you if you can find someone that's doing what you currently what you want to do or have an interest in, like if they just came in one day and just want to just shadow you or something mm -hmm. or any kind of like advice that you can give them, I think that will greatly benefit anybody that's in that field. But a lot of times, of course, you gotta you gotta speak up. Yeah. Because sometimes closed mouth don't get fed. And that's what happened for me. Like, I just asked for an opportunity. And like I said, you never know what somebody will do for you. Mm -hmm. Somebody I never even knew gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. So great. it's always about um, speaking up. That's what, great. What would you say is for you um, is like the hardest part of entrepreneurship? 
Um, well, in the beginning, it was more of just dedicating myself because I did have that mindset like, well, I ain't got a clock in. I just just go when I feel like it. So it basically just discipline. It was discipline. I had mm -hmm. a discipline in myself. Um, right now, the hardest thing for me now um, is I'm my own accountant. <laughs> And I run the business. So sometimes I get so wrapped up all month long doing clients, doing clients, to I, I forget to sit down and do my QuickBooks for that month. So that's the most challenging part. Like I have to stay on top of my QuickBooks, stay on top of my revenues, my expenses. And it's just, it's, it got to the point that I'm like, do I need to just hire somebody for this? But granted you, I'm a tax preparer and I have a degree in accounting. So I'm like, I still could say I could still pour all the money into my own business. So that's my, that's the most challenging. Now, for us dedicating my time and stuff here, that's no problem. It's just trying to balance out being so busy behind the chair and taking that time out. And I, the only day I have off a week is a Sunday. And on Sunday, I just want to rest and eat. Mm -hmm. But Sundays is the day I have to take some time to sit down and do my QuickBooks for that month. Right. Um, that's, that's like one of the most challenges. I, I got to ask you this because you you – You've been through so much, and, and of course, the journey is still going on. But how how important is faith been in, in your journey? Because everything that you've gone through, you had to have some faith to, to get through it and just believe that, and like you said, you prayed to God to get you out of situations, and he brought you through it. But how important has faith been in, in your journey? It's very important. And I drill it like a drill sergeant in my children. Um, when they come to me with a situation that I've, I can't handle, I can't change. I got them to faith and prayer. I said, because that faith and prayer open doors that you had never thought that were mm -hmm. open for you. So my faith is so strong now to, uh, it's just hard for me to, to endure negative or to endure I can't do mentality. Mm -hmm. Because I know what God can do even if I don't see it. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's, it's my faith is very strong. My final two questions. What would you say if you had to lay out your own personal blueprint for entrepreneurship? What would you say would be your blueprint? Um, basically, you see, getting started. I don't <laughs> yeah, get started or like you said, well, customer service, anything, like what, what else would you add to like for somebody like if they wanted to start their business, like what advice would you well, give them? Okay. Yeah. Uh, main thing is number one, believing in yourself. Um, if you know when you could do it, you, you keep the faith and you do it. Um, find them. Like you said, most time, find a mentor, uh, find a mentor. And if anybody come to me, I automatically, I, I start mentoring for, I know it to you truth. I start talking to them and, 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 and trying to put them on the right path to get started. So uh, basically, uh, my, my main three would be customer service. You got to have great customer service. Um, stick stick to your plan and keep the faith. Absolutely. And my final question um, that I've been asking everybody, we, we I started this question when we were on the, um, when we started our tour, self-investment tour. So I want to ask you as well, what does self-investment mean to you? Self-investment means a lot to me. Um, it 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 feel good to see that yeah you 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 invest in yourself but then you give time and watch your money come back to you 
that mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. I'm never, I, I, I never scared to pay for something that I want to learn or something I want to do. And, and that was a perfect example in September when, I, like I said, I came to that, that's what, that decision where I couldn't help my clients no more how to help really grow their hair back when they're going through immunity hair loss. So I looked at my bank account and I looked at the price of that school and I'm like, man, I ain't trying to pay that. But I did. Because I knew that now when my clients come to me and now they're going through um, family hereditary or hair loss, I can treat you right here. I don't. You don't have to go to Charlotte. You ain't got to go to Greenville. You ain't got to run to a dermatologist. I invested in myself to get the equipment to be able to, to treat them right here. So it means a lot to me, and it feels good. Absolutely. Ms. Davis, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to open up your shop once again for an interview. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's great to hear your story. Um, I know you got to be proud of Jared and all your children, how they're turning out. Um, just your story was just inspiring to hear so much and everything that you've been going through. But definitely keep it up. We want to... As you know, we appreciate you for this, everything that you're going through. Um, you inspired me just hearing your story. I really enjoyed it. Um, before you. we get out of here, can you tell everybody how to find you? Yes, I am located on 726 Lowndale Hill Road, Suite E. Um, that's right here in Greenville. I'm located right next to the Prestige Barbershop. Uh, this is Love Plaza. And right off, we right off 385 off South Pleasantburg. If you take 385 away coming in here. It'll bring the right to South Pleasantburg. When you get outside to South Pleasantburg, we'll make that first right at the light. And also, one more thing. Can you, for anybody that's watching us in any field that they're in, um, that want to pursue their dreams or the job they're at, um, just give them a bit of advice that you have for them, words of encouragement. You could do anything you put your mind to. You are what you think. Absolutely. Thank you again, Ms. Davis. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, if you didn't get a chance to watch it live, make sure you go back and watch it on. You can listen to it on Amazon Music, Spotify, I, iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, um, Pandora, and also YouTube and also on my website, carloskksmith.com. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it and learned something from this episode. Until next time, keep chasing your dreams. This is the Cross the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.